It's time for Chasing the Word on Compassion Radio. Well, it's Monday, and it's time for Chasing the Word here on Compassion Radio. And I'm welcoming back Bram to the United States. He's been on a fact-finding trip to Romania and Moldova and Ukraine to see how we can, as a ministry, help the people there who are serving the refugees flowing out of Ukraine right now. Bram, welcome back to the U.S. and back to the microphone. (laughs) Welcome back to this table. It's lovely for me, too, but it's not really the usual thing for us. Unfortunately, we have a couple of complications about be coming back to the States, which is yes, kind of putting us behind the eight ball a little bit about how to prepare this program. Mm-hmm. Most of you probably don't know, some of our friends know that when Bram returned from Romania, he wasn't feeling well. And one of the team members had previously tested positive for COVID. And so we had Bram test right away when he got back from his trip. And sadly, Bram also tested positive for COVID. Thankfully, we got to the doctor right away, and he's on some pretty good antiviral medications and feeling pretty good, I think. Aren't you, honey? I, yeah. It's just to be expected. I hate the isolation again. But it's strange being this close to being home-home and having to be in the motorhome outside the house for a few days. <laughs> exactly. But we're here, and that's, but we're thankful to God for yeah. that we're able to actually get this program recorded in time for our Monday morning broadcast. Mm-hmm. Hello, mm-hmm. friends, and thank you for welcoming us back into your homes today for this Bible study on the book of John. Last week, we left off on verse 18, where Peter was just beginning his denial of Christ. We talked about how devastating that must have felt, but also the fear that he must have felt as he stood there with these people, feeling accused, feeling probably very confused about what was going on with Jesus. And it was fear that was the motivator for most of his actions. We talked about that in our last program. And Mm -hmm. since we recorded that, I've walked through a lot of places where fear seems to be the order of the day and not Mm -hmm. unreasonably so. I mean, (laughs) I personally have met with hundreds of refugees that are being torn away from their homes and their lives right now, running headlong into the unknown. When disaster befalls us, we have to respond and we don't have a choice. Mm-hmm. Situations are out of our control. The Christian church went through that the whole first century and Jesus was just preparing his disciples in the previous chapters we've read and studied together on this broadcast about what's going to happen when you are persecuted for your faith, when you are torn away from your homes, when you are hauled before judges and courts simply because you follow me. It's going to become mm-hmm. part of your lives. So I got to see what the physical effect of that is. That's Mm. obviously in the front of my mind as we study the scriptures going forward here about what the disciples went through as they get through this narrative that we're reading. I think it's really Mm -hmm. important that we refocus ourselves to be inside the skin of those who had to experience this and gave us testament to what happened to Jesus and to them in those hours and days. We know from previous scripture that Jesus has told them over and over, be prepared. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be trials. There's going to be trauma. In this world, you will have trouble, he says back in John 16, I believe it was. And he says to them over and over, be prepared. The world hates me, so the world's going to hate you. And this is where it's beginning. This is the time that we're seeing that hatred heaped onto the followers of Jesus. We know that our whole human history since the time this book was written has been defined in one way or another by what Jesus claimed and by what he did and by how his followers responded and how the world responded to those followers. 
This is a worldwide phenomenon we're talking about. That's what's so powerful to me about being in the gospel again, is that we are at the beginning of something great, but also something very traumatic. We have to give some respect to those who relived all of their hurt for our benefit. And so I don't want us to lose sight of the fact that we're not just studying like we're scientists looking over a petri dish here. This realm is all around us. We're studying about the beginnings of the kingdom of God coming to life through the Holy Spirit. But this is the chapter where everything is about to turn so, so very dark. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, to get moving here, let's jump into chapter 18 of John. Starting in verse 19. The high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus answered him. I have always taught in the synagogue and in the temple complex where all the Jews congregate, and I haven't spoken anything in secret. Why do you question me? Question those who heard what I told them. Look, they know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the temple police standing by slapped Jesus, saying, Is this the way you answer the high priest? If I have spoken wrongly, Jesus answered him, Give evidence about this wrong. But if rightly, why do you hit me? Then Anna sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, and they said to him, You aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the high priest's slaves, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, said, Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Peter denied it again, and immediately a rooster crowed. Yeah. This is a shorter passage in the study than we've done in a while, but I wanted to halt there because we know that the next conversation is very involved and very focused on the argument that people are making against Jesus to the high priest and Jesus' response. So, so far in this, I just want to highlight a couple of things. Um, has he has he been hit already and answered? Okay. Mm-hmm. The first thing is the way Jesus answered his abuser. He's not just being accused now, he's being abused because someone's mm-hmm. pride is being pricked or someone's taking up an offense for somebody else. And so that, that soldier yeah. whacks him upside the head and says, this is the way you talk to somebody in authority. Of course, that's the great irony. The greatest authority known to mankind is standing in the dock, being accused by those lesser intellects, and yet he's being mocked for being a nobody. And I think this is what Paul is talking about later when he says, I would rather be a fool for Christ than to be wise in the eyes of all men of the earth. There's Mm -hmm. something about his emptying of his power or his position, but not of his authority that is at play here. And the way he chooses to respond for the record is something I think that Jesus was laying out the pattern for Christians to follow in in the ages to come. Jesus didn't bow or cower. He answered the abuser. Mm-hmm. The accusation and the abuse are different things, but they seem to always show up in the same place. Mm-hmm. Jesus will be silent before the accusations because legally, before God, he's taking on the sins of the world and sin should not speak back to the law. But on the abuse question, him the man, he rightly and righteously answers the question that's really hiding behind all of this. If what he said was untrue, then prove it. Or at least Mm -hmm. make an accusation. If what he is saying is true, deal with it. That is something that is completely within the rights of the man to speak, and it's not against him being the Lamb of God slain for the sins of the world. This is Jesus the man representing truth in the physical material sense. I don't think that we're ever called, this is just my opinion, to stand before those who would abuse us and not speak back to physical harm or violence. Jesus is absolutely saying we should speak up and speak into situations where violence is being used to dominate. 
There is really no one to defend Jesus. I think what you said is so important, though, Bram, and, and so hard for people who are in abusive situations to do. But Jesus sets this example for us to not defend our words, but the actions of others against us. That's exactly my point. Focusing on calling out evil actions for what they are, that doesn't require any self-defense. It's not about him anymore. It's about the action of another against God. He sees Mm -hmm. the evil being done by this man against his flesh, his own body. And he says, if I deserve this, prove it. If I'm telling you the truth, then why do you strike me? Mm-hmm. And that is a defense that is based on truth and God's authority directly. It's not depending upon our integrity or anything else. It's simply about the big truth, big T. And I think it helps us to become aware that if we do face violence like this, in any regard, the bullying, whatever it comes at us in our lifetimes, or even direct persecution or the, the killing of the saints, that is never, ever right and it's never, mm-hmm. ever good. And Jesus is not trying to set us up to be wimps and to just take it when the world throws everything at us all the time without speaking truth. He does call us at times just to take the hit. And he says, don't strike back. If you have to turn the other cheek in order to keep yourself from striking back, then do it. And I mm. think it's what that scripture means, too. It's not just about cowering again before those would beat you, but simply to withhold your own rage so that it does not in turn sin or compound the sin by pounding it out on others. He has two important things to accomplish here. One is to set the template for the future for all those who come behind him to follow him in this path and to prepare for what's coming for him on behalf of all mankind. Mm -hmm. You want to talk about an agenda. God has a lot of agendas at work here that he plans to work his plan. And Jesus is aware of all those things. And by this example, by this record, we can peer right into part of that plan. How he handles violence, how he handles accusations, how he handles the responsibility of having to step into the sins of others and inhabit them so that they would not have to be crushed by them. Mm-hmm. That, to me, is the big thing that happens in that one exchange. Well, I see a lot of things happening here to wear Jesus down as well. First, they take him from the garden. It's already late. They're probably very tired. And we know from other accounts in the other Gospels that the disciples fell asleep when Jesus asked them to pray. So they've been up for a long time. They're exhausted. And then Jesus is roughhoused, tied up, taken to Annas, who is the father-in-law of Caiaphas, Mm -hmm. the high priest. Had been the high priest, but then they take him to Caiaphas. Next, Jesus is being just rustled around all over the city, it seems like. And they're just getting warmed up. So they're just getting started, exactly. So he's exhausted, and yet he shows such stamina in this and such restraint. Mm -hmm. He could have made this I am statement and knocked them all down, but he shows restraint and he trusts his father with the outcome to sustain him through this. That is such a huge thing for me to see. As a man, we know that Jesus must have been, had to have been exhausted as a human being. Mm -hmm. But then to see him still able to show such grace. This also reminds me of that important saying in Revelation, I believe chapter 9, where the saints that were sacrificed, that were martyred for the faith. Revelation says they overcame the evil one by two things, the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. In this situation, Jesus preaches the only sermon that evil will hear, which is, if you have an accusation, bring it. If you don't, be quiet. When Jesus shuts down the arguments of evil men or of evil spirits, he just simply tells them to be quiet. 
Mm-hmm. He doesn't invite them to be corrected or step into a different way of thinking if they're incapable or unwilling to do that by their spirit. But he does tell the truth. Maybe not for those who will do evil right then, but for all those who will see that evil later and pause for a minute and think, which way would I go on this? Which character am I in this place? Am I the accused one that's bearing up under pressure with grace? Or am I the one that's the abuser? Mm. There's been a lot of people over history that have thought they were doing God's work by being violent. And the people in the temple, this court, this kangaroo court, we might call it in modern days, that Jesus is facing, they believe in their heart of hearts they're doing God a favor. God is not just doing them a favor. He's doing them a great work of redemption by putting up with it and by using the evil of men to put an end to evil, even though evil seems to keep spilling out around us, until that day when everything is finally totally, totally made new. This is a big story, a big play, a big tragedy, a big triumph. This is the hero's journey. We can think about this as being grand theater, not because people are play-acting, but because they're playing out their roles in such obvious fashion now. And that's what I think the Gospels do a great job of, is distilling it down to the core character, the core actions, the core meaning of those days and hours, so that we can at least take it into ourselves. And if we, even if we can't imagine all that might have happened, we can get enough to say, we understand the story now. This is the kind of God we have, one who is always righteous, but always humble and willing to serve and die for us. And one who will put an end to evil for all time, as he puts to death the evil within us day by day. What we're talking about is so important for us to take into our hearts right now, too, with what Jesus is doing. He's showing us that you really can't argue with a bully. Yeah, you can't. You just can't. You can't argue with a bully because it just is it's not productive, for one thing. But you're not going to change their mind if they're so convinced that they're right. Hmm. I mean, we see this on social media so often. People want to argue back and forth the point of their political view or their scientific view or their personal view or whatever. The thing is, the only way our minds can be changed is if our hearts are changed. Mm. And Jesus shows us here that the way to convince others, the way to encourage others is by our gentleness. Mm. And I know that Paul talks about that being a virtue, having a gentle and quiet spirit. I'm not a very gentle and quiet person a lot of times, but I know that God calls me to that, to be a good listener, to be a good encourager. We think about gentle as being something soft in in our modern language. It did not mean something soft when it was invented. Gentle meant to not abuse, Mm. to be one that was above the baseness of humanity and would rise to a level of character that others would not. It had dignity to it, which was respected. It was about restraint Mm. and about compassion. Absolutely. For 78 years now, we've depended on the faithful encouragement of friends just like you to bring this unique radio and media ministry to the air each day. Friends, we're focused right now on the current crisis in and around Ukraine, like a laser. I personally met with dozens of refugees and kingdom workers who ran to the front lines of need and have selflessly given of themselves completely, thoroughly, and as I saw to the point of indescribable exhaustion. I saw refugee and servant alike shiver in a vicious blizzard that struck the first week of March. They were very much alike in one important way. They were absolutely determined to survive this ordeal and to redeem what their lives have become. We need to follow their example. Will you help us today? We have blankets and food to buy, 
tanks to fill with gas, and medicine to help them survive the days ahead. This need is not going away anytime soon, even as this rescue operation rapidly sweeps the refugees farther west, away from the fighting. Friends, really, we need you now to step up. Please, give generously, even sacrificially, right away. I know that God will be pleased if we do. So call us today at 1-800-868-2478. Mail us at P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. Text the word COMPASSION to 53445 or give online at CompassionRadio.com. Bless you, friends, for your brave and activist faith. I hope we can be a real encouragement and challenge to you for many, many years to come. And make sure to ask for your own copy of The Dynamic Gospel when you contact us today. Well, let's continue now with the dynamic gospel in this same passage. Again, from chapter 18 of John, starting at verse 19. All the while, phase one of the trial was underway, with Caiaphas interrogating Jesus about his followers and his teachings. When finally allowed to speak, Jesus replied, What's there to figure out? I've been speaking plainly since I stepped onto the main stage. I've taught in meeting houses all over. I've preached right here in the temple in front of all your sharpest minds. You've all heard every word. There are no secrets here. So why bother with all the pretense? If your ears are that dull, ask any of the thousands who listen more carefully than you. They won't have any difficulty explaining the simple truth they've heard. Egos bruised, the chief priest's personal guard gave Jesus something to think about, slapping him hard. Is that the way to address the high priest of God himself? Jesus straightened and faced down the guard. If I have slandered the man, prove it. If you can't, why resort to violence? You're just lashing out foolishly. There Jesus stood, still hogtied like an escaped prisoner or rebellious slave. Annas had sent him to Caiaphas that way to make a point. All the while, impatient Peter was stuck in the courtyard, wedged between servant girls and the lowest-ranking guards, trying to shake off the chill like he was. The regulars were growing suspicious of Peter and began to press him. Are you sure you're not one of those Galilean wackos? You sure look like one. Absolutely not, Peter shouted. One of the slaves related to Malchus, the very person Peter had attacked earlier, pressed him again. I'm sure I saw you there in the garden with Jesus, right at the center of the whole scuffle. I was not! I don't know the man, shouted Peter, loud enough to wake the livestock. He staggered back a step, and the rooster crowed that very moment. So now let's shift over to Peter's part in this passage that we've read. We go back outside to the courtyard where they're warming themselves by the fire. And Peter is again recognized by someone in the crowd. Mm -hmm. And again, not even accused, but asked, don't you know this man? Weren't you with him? And he vehemently denies it. This is one of Shakespeare's Methinks Thou Protesteth Too Much. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I love how the servant gal that was there is actually related to Malchus. And we Mm. talked about that before. And like, why would John bring up Malchus' name? Why would he name this guy? Well, I think this is why. Mm. Maybe so. Because we want to see there is someone related to the man. She's heard about what happened in the garden from Malchus. Malchus maybe came and said, you're not going to believe this. You know, I was there and... This guy cut my ear off, 
And then the man, Jesus, healed my ear. Everyone's still got to be stunned by all this. Right. She might be actually supportive to Peter in this. She might be actually thinking, wow, Jesus is really a good man. We don't know that because Peter is so caught up in the anxiety of it all that he can't bring himself to identify with Christ in this point. Well, I think he's also dealing with the shame and the relief at the same time. That's an odd combination, but I think it's really happening for him. Mm. Of course he's relieved that they all didn't die that moment and that the brash behavior he exhibited and the violence he committed was not dealt with the way violence normally is. I see in Peter an odd admixture right now of his shame for knowing he's caused all this hurt and Malchus's name being brought up again and the other side of his brain, which is saying Mm -hmm. how utterly relieved he is that Jesus fixed it. I mean, he's not being crushed by another guard for having just committed uh, assault and he's not being thrown in prison. He's not being killed on the spot. He survived Mm -hmm. for another day, but he's got to live with his shame now. What does shame do to you when you're in the face of people who are accusing you? Well, it makes you do some pretty irrational things. And in front of what would seem to be not that much of a threat, servant girls and a couple of people around a campfire, he's falling back like he's the kid who's being caught stealing candy from a store or something. He, his response seems to be completely <laughs> out of character in one way, but completely in character with how he is when he's under stress. So, yes, this is, the, yeah. this is Peter at extremis. He is at his very limit at this point, and we have this in the record. Again, I think for us to know that it's going to be all right. If we go through that kind of stuff, we're going to be not exonerated, perhaps, but we're going to, have, we're going to be able to come back to Jesus, and Jesus is still going to have us. Mm-hmm. He's not going to forsake us, even then. Because we know the end of the story, we know how Judas responded to his mess up, I guess we would call it. He ran away from Jesus. Peter responds by following after Jesus. Mm -hmm. And even though he spends time here in denial or in vehement denial of Jesus, he's still running after Jesus. He's still following after him. And so we see two sides of the coin here. And what happens when we mess up? Do we choose to run away from the situation, to run away from Jesus and separate ourselves from the very life that could give us life? Or do we choose to follow after it? even though it is traumatic and difficult to do so. And there's shame involved. And we do it poorly. So there's shame on both sides here. But what happens here is how we respond to it. So how we respond to that shame and the feelings of guilt that we have is very, very important. We're at the point of the program, we really have to wrap it up. But I do want to thank you, friends, for sticking with us through all of these strange times that we're going through as a world and as a ministry. And we are dependent upon you to see us through, to keep doing the work we do. If you see any value in us Mm -hmm. studying the Word together and unpacking it with you each week, we would love to hear from you. We would love to be able to send a copy of the Dynamic Gospel to you as our thank you for your support of Compassion Radio. And please, friends, check out ways you can be supporting refugees and the ministries at the church that the kingdom is active in right now on behalf of millions who Mm -hmm. are displaced and under incredible stress right now. We are active there. We've just been there. You'll hear more about that in the programs following. So thank you for your love for us and for partnering with us in making a real difference in this world. We'll see you on tomorrow's program. Lost my way, still your 
Nothing will I fear as long as you are near. Please be near me to the end. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Thy word is a lamp. Thanks for joining us today. Send your special gift for the church in Ukraine today. Call 1-800-868-2478 or give online at CompassionRadio.com. God bless, and we'll see you tomorrow.